0: CHAPTER FOUR OF Bull Hunter BY MAX BRAND THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN THE TALE HALTED. TO BE DEFEATED IS ONE THING, TO BE FORCED TO CONFESS DEFEAT IS ANOTHER, UNCLE BILL DETERMINED ON THE BITTERER ALTERNATIVE. HE MADE A CLEAN FIGHT, DECLARED UNCLE BILL. FIRST, HE CUSSED ME OUT PROPER, THEN HE WENT FOR HIS GAT, AND HE BEAT ME TO THE DRAW. There ain't no disgrace to that. You'll learn pretty soon that anybody might get beaten sooner or later, if he fights enough men. And my gun hung in the leather. Before I got it on him, he shot me clean through the right shoulder. A placed shot, boys. He wanted to land me there. It tumbled me off my horse. I rolled away and tried to get my gun that had fallen on the ground. He shot me again through the leg and stopped me. Then he got off his horse and fixed up the wounds. He done a good job, as you seen. Bill, says he, you ain't dead. You're worse than dead. That right arm of yours is going to be stiff the rest of your days. You're a one-armed man from now on, and that one arm is the worst you got. That was why he sent me home alive, to make me live and keep hating him. The same he would have lived and hated me but he made a mistake. Pete Reeve is a wise fox, but he made one mistake. He forgot that I might have somebody to send on his trail. He didn't know that I had two boys I'd raised. they was each better with a gun, nor me. He didn't dream of that, curse him, but when you, Harry, or you, Joe, pump the lead into him, shoot him so he'll live long enough to know who killed him and why. As he spoke, there was a quality in his voice that seemed to find the boys in the darkness and point each of them out. Which one of you takes the trail? A little silence followed. Bull wondered at it. He's going by way of Johnstown, continued the wounded man. If one of you cuts across the summit toward Shantung, he's pretty well sure to cut it across Pete's trail. Which is going to start? Well... You can match for the chance, because him that comes back with Pete Reeve marked off the slate is a man. That chilly silence made Bull's heart beat. To be called a man, to be praised by stern Bill Campbell—surely, these were things to make anyone risk death. Is that the Pete Reeve said, Harry? Voice that shot up Mike Rivers over the hill to the Tompkins place about four years back. "'That's him. Why?' "'Again the silence,' then Bull heard the old man cursing softly, meditatively. "'One might also have said.' "'Cut across for Johnstown,' said Joe softly, in a storm like this. "'There won't be no trails left to find above the timberline. "'It'll be sure death. Listen.' "'There was a lull in the wind, and in the breeze that was left, "'they could hear the whisper of the snow, crushing steadily against the window. "'It's heavy fall, right enough,' declared Harry. "'And this Pete Reeve, why he's a gunfighter, Dad.' "'And what are you?' asked the old man. "'Ain't I labored and slaved all my life to make you handy with guns. What for, do you think I wasted all of them hours showing you how to pull a trigger and where to shoot and how to get a gun out of the leather? "'To kill for meat,' suggested Harry. Meat nothing, the kind of meat I mean, walks on two feet and fights back. "'Maybe if we started together,' ventured Joe. His father broke in. "'Boy, I ain't gonna send out a pack of men to run down Pete Reeve. He met me single and he fought me clean, and he's going to be pulled down by no pack of yellow dogs. Go one of you alone, or else both of you stay here.' He waited, but there was no response. Is this the way my blood is showing up in my son's? Is this the result of all my trainin'? After that there was no more talk. The long silence was not broken by even the sound of breathing, until someone began to snore. Then Bull knew that the sleep of the night had settled down. He lay with his hands folded behind his head, thinking. They were willing enough to go together to do this difficult thing. But had they not lifted together at the stump and failed to do the thing which he had done single-handed? The thought stuck in his memory and would not out. And suppose he, bull, were to accomplish this great feat and return to the shack? Would not Bill Campbell feel doubly repaid for the living he had furnished for his nephew? More than once the grim old man had cursed the luck that saddled him with his stupid incubus but the curses would turn to compliments if bull left this little man this cat-like and dangerous fighter this pete reeve dead on the trail not that all this was clear in the mind of bull but he felt something like a command pushing him on that difficult south trail through the storm and the snow that would now be piling up above the timber line he waited until there was no noise but the snoring of the sleepers and the rush and roar of the wind, which continually set something stirring in the room. These sounds served to cover, effectually, any noises he made as he felt about and made up his small pack. His old canvas coat, his most treasured article of apparel, he took down from the hook where it accumulated dust from month to month. His ancient, second-hand cartridge belt, with the antiquated revolver, he removed from another hook. He had never been given enough ammunition to become a shot of any quality, and he pushed quickly into the night. The moment he was through the door, the storm caught him in the face a stinging blow, and the rush of snow chilled his skin. That stinging blow steadied to a blast. It was a tremendous heavy fall. The wind had scoured the drifts from the clearing, and was already banking them around the little house. In the morning, as likely as not, the boys would have to dig their way out. He went straight to the horseshed for his snowshoes that hung on the wall there. Ordinary snowshoes would not endure his ponderous weight, and Uncle Bill Campbell had fashioned these himself, heavy and uncomfortable articles, but capable of enduring the strain. Fumbling his way down behind the stalls, Bill's roan lashed out at him with savage heels, but Maggie, the old draft horse, whinnied softly, greeting that familiar heavy step. He tied the snowshoes on his back and then stopped for a last word to Maggie. She raised her head and dropped it clumsily on his shoulder. She was among the little, agile mountain ponies, what he was among men, and their bulk had rendered each of them more or less helpless. There seemed to be a mute understanding between them, and it was never more apparent than when Maggie whinnied gently in his ear. He stroked her big, bony head, a lump forming in his throat. If the bullets of little Pete Reeve dropped him in some far-off trail, the old broken-down horse would be the only living creature that would mourn for him. Outside, The night and the storm swallowed him at once. Before he had gone fifty feet, the house was out of sight. Then entering the forest of balsam firs, the force of the wind was lessened, and he made good time up the first part of the grade. There would probably be no use for the snowshoes in this region of broken shrubbery before he came to the timber line. He swept on with a lengthening stride. He knew this part of the country like a book, of course, and he seldom stumbled, save when he came out into a clearing and the wind smote at him from an unexpected angle. In one of these clearings he stopped and took stock of his position. Far away to the west and south, the head of Scalped Mountain was lost in dim, rushing clouds. He must make for that goal. Progress became less easy almost at once. The trees that grew in this elevated region were not tall enough to act as windbreakers. They were hardly more than shrubs a great deal of the time, and merely served to force him into detours around dense hedges. Sometimes in a clearing, he found himself staggering to the knees in a compacted drift of snow. Sometimes an immense sheet of snow was picked up by the wind and flung in his face like a blanket. Indeed the cold and the snow were nothing compared with the wind. It was now reaching the proportions of a westerly storm of the first magnitude. Off the towering slopes above it came with the chill of the snow and with flying bits of sand, scooped up from around the base of trees, or with a shower of twigs. Many a time he had to throw up his arms, across his face, before he leaned and thrust into the teeth of the blast. But he was growing accustomed to seeing through this veil of snow and thick darkness. All things were dreamlike in dimness, of course, but he could make out terrific cloud effects as the clouds gushed over the summit and down the slope a little way, like the smoke of enormous guns. And again... A pyramid of mist was like a false mountain before him, a mountain that took on movement and rushed to overwhelm him, only to melt away and become simply a shadow among shadows above his head. Once or twice before the dawn he rested, not from weariness perhaps, but from lack of breath, turning his back to the west and bowing his head. Walking into the wind, it had become positively difficult to draw breath. Still it gained power incredibly. Up the side of scalped mountain it was a steady weight pressing against him rather than a wind. And now and then, when the weight relaxed, he stumbled forward on his knees. For there was now hardly any shelter. He was approaching the timber line, where trees stand as high as a man and a little higher. Dawn found him at the edge of the tree-line. He flung himself on his face, his head on his arms, to rest and wait until the treacherous time of dawn should have passed. While the day grew steadily, his heart sank. He needed the rest, but the cold bit into him while he lay extended, and the peril of the summit would be before him for his march of the day. The wind mourned over him, as if it anticipated his defeat. Never had there been such wind, he thought. It screamed above him. It dropped away in sudden lulls of more appalling silence. Then, far off, he would hear a wave of the storm begin, wash across the crest, thunder in a canyon, and then break on the timberline with a prolonged and mighty roaring. Those giant approaches made him hold his breath and when the wave of confusion passed he found himself often breathless day came he was on the very verge of the line with a dense fence of stunted trees just before him and the wilderness of snow beyond sloping up to the crest outlined in white against the solid gray sky the spartans of the forest were around him fir pine spruce birch and trembling little aspens up there among the stoutest. All were of one height, clean-shaven by the volleys of the wind-driven sand and pebbles that clipped off any treetop that aspired above the mass. In solid numbers was their salvation, and they grew dense as grass two feet high on the battlefront. They were carved by that wind, for all storms came here out of the west and the storm face of every tree was denuded of branches. To the east the foliage streamed away. Even in calm weather those trees spoke of storm. Bull Hunter sat up to put on his snowshoes. It was a white world below him and above. Winter, which a day before had vanished, now came back with a rush off the summits, where its snows were still piled. Again the heart of the big man quaked. Down in the hollow over the ridge was the house of the Campbells. They would be getting up now. Joe would be making the fire, and Harry slicing the bacon. It made a cheerful picture to Bull. He could close his eyes and hear the fire snap, and see the stove steam with smoke through every fissure before the draught caught in the chimney. From the shed came the neigh of Maggie calling softly to him. He shook his head with a groan, stood up and strode out of the timber into the summit lands. It was a great desert. Never could it be construed as a place for life. Even lichens were almost out of place here and what folly could lead a man across the shifting snows. But to be called a man, to be admired in silence, to be asked for opinions, to be deferred to, this was a treasure worth any price he bowed himself to the wind again and made for the summit with the peculiar stride which a man must use with snowshoes he dared not slacken his efforts now the cold had been increasing and to pause meant peril of freezing it was a highly electrified air and the result was a series of maddening mirages he stumbled over solid rocks where nothing seemed to be in his way, and again what seemed a rock of huge size was nothing at all. Bull discovered that what seemed firm ground beneath him as he started to round a precipice might after all be the effect of the mirage. Added to this was another difficulty, as he wound slowly about midday up the last reach with the summit just above him The wind carried masses of cloud over the crest and into his face. He walked alternately in a bewildering, driving fog, and then in an air made crazy with electricity. Again and again, from one side or the other, he started when the storm boomed and cannonaded down a ravine and then belched out into the open. All this time the babble of winds overhead never ceased and the force of the storm cut up under him with such violence that he was almost raised from the earth then an unexpected barrier obtruded a literal mountain of ice was before him the snow of the recent fall had been whipped away and the surface of the mountain here perilously steeped was now sleek and solid with ice bull looked gloomily toward the summit so close above him and the ice glimmered in the dull light. There was only one way to make even the attempt. He sat down, took off his snowshoes, strapped them to his back, and began to work his way up the slope, battering out each foothold with the head of his axe. It was possible to ascend in this manner, but it would be practically impossible to descend. Once committed to this way, He had either to go on to the summit or else perish. Working slowly, with little possible muscular exercise to warm him, he began to grow chilled, and the wind-driven cold numbed his ears. But more than that, the wind was now a grim peril, for from time to time it swerved and leaped on him heavily from the side. Once off balance, he looked back at the dazzling slope below him. He would be a shapeless mass of flesh long before he tumbled to the bottom. Vaguely, as he hewed his footholds and worked his way up, he yearned for the cleverness of Harry or the wit of Joe, what an ally either of them would be. That he was undertaking a task from which either of them would have shrunk in horror never occurred to him. Yonder beyond the summit lay his destiny, Johnstown and this was the way toward it. It was a simple thing to Bull. He could no more vary from his course than a magnetic needle can vary from its pole. Suddenly he came on a break in the solid face of the ice. Above him was a narrow rift through the ice to the gravel beneath. How it was made, Bull could not guess, but he took advantage of it. Presently he was striding on toward the summit, beating his hands to restore the circulation and gingerly rubbing his ears there was a magical change as he reached the summit and sat down behind some rocks to regain his breath and quiet his shaken nerves the clouds split apart in the zenith the sun burst through on both sides the broad mountain billowed away to white lowlands the air was alive with little brilliant spots of electricity. It cheered Bull Hunter vastly. The gale, which was tumbling the clouds down the arch of the sky and toward the east, was more mighty than ever. But he put his head down to it confidently and began the descent. End of chapter 4